Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know me. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the magnificent, motivated, and mellifluous Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? You know, Chris, a lot is up. At the end of last show, we thought, hey, let's do a, a show on adventure design. And then, like, everything happened in the world. It's been and kind of crazy, right? It <laughs> has. So... So I asked Chris nicely if we could not talk about adventure design this week, but instead talk about our normal announcements and then talk about two different topics. Uh, the Artificer, which dropped from Unearthed Arcana uh, right after we recorded last week, and the Kickstarter for Critical Role's uh, animated special, which has turned into the Critical Role animated series, apparently. Yes, and since I'm just a homunculus that serves at the whims of the Mad Wizard, I said mm -hmm. yes. And at least you're not a turret. I don't even know what that means yet. Exactly. Because, you know, it's the, the Artificer's a weird class. Uh, it's it's only weird in, in that it's not like anything else that's come before it. But we'll True. talk about that later. And, but more importantly, we actually sat together in the same room this weekend. Yeah, we played a game together. That For was, almost like four hours. It was weird. It was. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it because, like, it was so strange. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I talk to you all the time, but I'm not used to be, being in the same physical space as you. I know. Oh, but I suppose we should do some announcements first, huh? Let's do that. All right, Monica Games announced its 5e project, Arcana of the Ancients. So this is a book that allows for mixing some science fiction into your D and D games. So, like, you know, you all play some Barrier Peaks or um, other things like that. Then you can do that. I am curious in, as to how much Numenera will be in this book, because it seems like it's supposed to be like a pseudo-Numenera 5th edition conversion book, but it's not exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I have not heard anything about this other than the fact that they were doing it, so it will be interesting to see how they position that. Mm -hmm. uh, what about Dwarven Forge? What are they up to? So the Dwarven Forge, uh, as you know, that is the uh, terrain-creating company. That is pretty well loved by um, terrain aficionados around the world. And they have been doing Kickstarters for the past, I don't know, 10 years or more almost. And their latest one um, gave away a, an adventure to go with their terrain. They built a big dungeon with the terrain that they were uh, kickstarting and then created an adventure for it. Uh, Teos Abadia wrote that adventure. And... Recently, they put it up on their website at DwarvenForge.com free. So you can download this uh, free adventure, 5e adventure, the same one that they gave away as part of the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, but it looks like within a few days, uh, March 18th to be precise, a strange and mysterious Twitter post went up saying that they are going to enter the Dungeon of Doom, which is the name of this adventure, with your favorite content creators, including Maze Arcana, Web DM Show, The Broadswords, Venture Maidens, D&D Podcast, Dungeon Dudes, and Up, Up, Down, Down. So it sounds like they are going to do a stream of this adventure from various uh, content creators that are 
beloved on the interwebs. A series of streams, you would say, right? I would say it would be with, I don't think they're going to have all those people in the same room at one time or even on the same stream at one time. So it sounds like they're going to be doing something with that. And this is kind of new territory for Dwarven Forge because, you know, they're they're obviously a great creator of that terrain because people love it. People use it all the time. Their Kickstarters always do well. So it's interesting to see them venturing out in these new directions, getting into adventure design as well as streaming. You know, diversify that portfolio, right? Make your product more widely appealing to people. That would be a good way to sell more stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, streaming is the new thing, right? Streaming is the new black. <laughs> All right. Uh, Dan Dillon is a new a Wizards of the Coast D&D game designer. Yes, they put out a call for uh, d- designers a while back. It's probably been a few months now. And I knew a few people that applied and a couple people who got interviews, but apparently they have made their final decision, and it is Dan Dillon. And if you've listened to our podcast for a while, you've heard Dan on the show, and you've heard us talking about Dan. Um, if you want a list of his credits, a great site to go to is rpggeek.com, where you can search not only Dan, but any designer, and get a fairly comprehensive um portfolio of their work so if you go there and and look up dan he has a long list of credits long and diverse um he's done a lot of work for cobalt press on projects like tome of beast and creature codex much of the midgard material both for 5e and pathfinder uh, was worked on by dan and and so much more um he contributed to the most recent hardcover book from Wizards, Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, he was also a moderator of the Facebook 5E D&D group that has you know, hundreds of thousands of, uh, if not million, uh, followers. Yeah. So Dan is a great D&D mind. I was super excited to hear that he got the job because I know that he does good work. He takes uh, the game very seriously, and I think he's a good fit there. It's pretty neat. Dan Dillon's yep. a Dan Dillon's an excellent designer. Um, yes. he's more than more than deserving of that job. Oh, for sure. Yep. So, uh, last thing is the uh, the most popular D and D feats according to D and D Beyond was a thing that they released, and mm-hmm. uh, the war the warcaster is the most popular feat by uh, by a lot at ten percent. Yes, uh, not surprising. If it's, you're a, a, it's a pretty good feat, right? Yeah, if you're a caster. And you have any sort of concentration spells in your repertoire, then uh, Warcaster gives you advantage on con saves to maintain concentration on a spell. So when they broke it down by classes taking feats, almost every spellcaster, I think every spellcaster except Bard, had that at least first or tied for first on their list of feats taken. Um, It also does an interesting thing. It helps you if you are in combat because if a hostile creature's movement um, provokes an opportunity attack from you rather than having to make a melee attack you can use your reaction instead to cast a spell at the creature uh, rather than making a normal opportunity attack Um, the only restriction is it has to be a spell with a casting time of one action that targets only one creature now if you if you read that it that doesn't say like melee attack it doesn't. So you could do a ranged attack, uh, spell attack on that creature as long as it targets just one creature. So that is an interesting um, 
thing that I think is very powerful because you're basically using your reaction to cast an action spell um, if if this creature provokes. Mm-hmm. I thought it interesting that the next three, which were all over 6% uh, of feats taken, were tough, lucky, and sharpshooter. Well, it's what, more hit points? Um, that yeah. cool thing where you get to roll some d20s at the beginning and just keep them stacked off to the side? Oh, Lucky's a little different than that. Lucky is just you get to re-roll three uh, d20 rolls. Oh, is that lucky? I thought it was the yeah. one where you roll them at the beginning and then you can keep them stashed. That's the uh, uh, the wizard, the, the divination wizard's um, special ability. Oh, okay. And that might have been lucky. That might have been a lucky feat for fourth edition. Maybe, okay. maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But yeah, and and sharpshooter is. Quite powerful, especially for rangery, roguey types um, who like to stay out of combat because it lets you take a minus fi- up uh, a minus five to your attack roll with a ranged weapon um, to get plus ten damage, and mm-hmm. it lets you ignore uh, cover, which is also quite quite a thing. Yeah, it's really kind of a huge thing. I mean, it's essentially power attack with a bow. Exactly. Yep. Which I mean, it makes sense, right? Like right, make- and and even more importantly for rogues, I believe um, if you attack from long range, you don't have disadvantage. So you can sneak attack from long range, basically. Well, that's crazy, right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, since it removes that disadvantage, it, it opens up sneak attack as long as you have an ally there, yep. or if you have advantage. It does so, all three of those things. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's popular. I know that I see that a lot when I'm DMing, um, like at conventions. And the the final two, uh, in at the top of the list were observant and alert. Both of those at over five percent. All the other feats were under five percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, observant and alert, as you might let's see. I think observant is you gain a plus five to your passive perception um, score. That's correct. So and, that and, means you aren't getting and, surprised all that much. Yeah, and your passive intelligence investigation score. Yep. I don't see that used as much, but yeah, it, that, that that is true. Um, and I think it also gives you a plus one to wisdom. Uh, it does that. So, and then yeah. the, the other thing it does is it lets you, if you can see a creature's mouth, um, and if it's speaking a language you can understand, you okay. can read its lips. Yep. So obviously... Uh, your passive perception score is quite important in D&D uh, because it tells you whether you are surprised or not a lot of time, a lot of the time, um, which can make a big difference in a game, so it makes perfect sense that that one is popular. Um, alert gives you a plus five on your initiative. Yep. Um, and you can't be surprised. Mm-hmm. So that makes, you know, that's a quite a powerful thing. And if a creature is invisible or somehow unseen, it does not gain advantage on you when it makes an attack roll against you. Those things are all pretty useful. Yep. So it makes sense that those are the top uh, top feats according to D&D Beyond. I mean, who doesn't want a plus five to initiative, right? Exactly. I mean, going first, not being surprised either through straight rule or by having such a high passive perception that you can't be, all important things. It, it might be the most useful feat for the assassin rogue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. All I right. Would definitely say so. Yeah. So let's get to our topic, or at least our first topic for the day. We're going to talk about mm-hmm. the artificer. Yes. So uh, so why don't you, you want to start? Because, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of want to start, 
to uh, but I'll I'll get to it later. Like I want to talk about the uh well here, why don't we do the thing? Why don't you give the disclaimer first? That's always okay. better. Here's my here's my standard disclaimer when we talk about new rules for D&D, whether you're working at Wizards of the Coast or you're just making one for your home game or you're going to put it on a DM's guild. Uh, look at these three broad categories as you make new rules. Um, is the new rule you're creating important and necessary to the game, and is it thematic for the game? Okay. Second, is it fun and flavorful for, for D&D or for the setting that you're writing in? Mm-hmm. And third, is it balanced not overpowered, not underpowered when compared to the rest of the game. Yes, and that is always the hardest part right there is to make it, make that work. Exactly. So the first two are more feeling sort of things. The third one involves knowledge and playtesting and all that. Yeah, and, so, and, and feel. Yep. Like some, some level of balance is about does it feel right too. Sure. So go ahead, Chris. All right, so first thing we're going to do is we're going to read the very first paragraph of the uh, Artificer, which is the flavor text. And the reason we're reading this is because whatever this flavor text is, the rest of the class should sort of fit inside of what is being presented here. So here you go. Masters of unlocking magic and everyday objects, artificers are supreme inventors. They see magic as a complex system waiting to be decoded and controlled. Artificers use tools to channel arcane power, crafting temporary and permanent magical objects. To cast a spell, an artificer could use alchemical supplies to create a potent elixir, calligraphers' supplies to inscribe a sigil of power on an ally's armor, or tinkerers' tools to craft a temporary charm. The magic of artificers is tied to their tools and their talents. Mm -hmm. So like I said, everything else in this class should sort of fit inside of that description. Uh, That is Uh, is, is our idea, our high-level idea concept for this. And so if, if after reading that, we go back to those first two questions, is it necessary and thematic? Well, I think Eberron's been around long enough now that people's love for it says that, yes, it is necessary. And, yes, it thematically fits what you're trying to do. Um, not only does it fit in Eberron, but it also fits in some other worlds. Um, and they actually they, mentioned that. They do. I, yeah, I wrote my notes and then I continued reading. I was like, oh, yeah, they talk about all these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about... Uh, clerics or followers of Gond in the Forgotten Realms, who is kind of the tinkerer god. Uh, there are tinker gnomes in Dragonlance uh, that have always been a staple of that do, setting. Do you know I'd never even thought about that until I read that? I'm like, oh, that makes total uh, sense that they should. No, I've, to- been, I've that- been rereading some Dragonlance books, and uh, and so I was like, oh yeah, that fits. And uh, the the only one that's kind of a stretch for me was they talk about Greyhawk. I'm like, hmm, where does that fit into Greyhawk? Because it's not. You know, maybe if you delve down into some of the gods, it it fits. But kind of on this overall level, it it doesn't fit Greyhawk. And they're like, well, think of the Barrier Peaks. And I'm like, yeah, that's technology, but that's not really characters building these things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's okay. They they, they were trying. I'll I'll give them, them, you know, an E for effort. That that is the one where it doesn't fit. Like, there'd there'd be no artificer in my Greyhawk campaign. Yeah, I I would I would listen to the player because, like I said, the player may know some obscure lore that that I'm not aware of right off the top of my head that may fit. Now, one place where I definitely wouldn't put is Dark Sun. I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? Right, exactly. And I mean, you might be able to finagle something and and come up with your own story for it, which is fine. But just in terms of of the straight lore as it stands, that would be a tough sell for me. Me too. All right, so there's a really cool thing that you you found, and I also read it too. Um, the part that you love about the the intro 
sort of other text. Uh, yep. It's a, it's a thing that sort of drives artificers to be adventurers. So go ahead, why don't you read that? Yeah, it says, Artificers who wish to make a mark must find something fresh rather than uncovering someone else's work. This drive for novelty pushes artific artificers to become adventurers. And, and I love the fact that they do this, that they say, here is why these people that probably are more apt to be in a laboratory are willing to go out and risk their lives because there's more out there they need to learn and they can't just rely on the notes of others like wizards do. Yeah, it's and, sort of a nice uh, push towards the, the idea of pulp adventuring, pulp, yes. like two-fisted pulp adventuring. Yep. Um, yeah, and and so I'm just going to note that this is a problem I have with some classes that people try to create where it doesn't – it's a cool idea, but the whole idea of the class is kind of antithetical to adventuring. You know, I think of like a sage kind of person. And I understand that you know, you want to make a sage class, but the whole idea of a sage in in both you know in in the history of fantasy as well as just in common sense is they sat in a room and they read dusty tomes, and you yep. could always say, well, they want to go out and collect tomes, but no, they really don't. You know, they they want to read them. They would just collect so, money and then hire adventurers to go collect tomes. Exactly. So that's why I like the fact that they at least address that with with this flavor. I agree. Okay. All right. Let's d delve into some of these mechanisms, these mechanics. So uh, overall, like they have a D eight for hit points. Uh, I've come to find out that that matters a lot less than the design than a lot of other things. They just do this like for what feels right for kind of like what the char character class's role is in design. Right. So like that's that's interesting. Like it's a D eight. Okay, mm -hmm. that's fine. Um, they they can wear medium armor and up to medium armor and use shields. So that that makes them a little bit more meaty. Mm -hmm. uh, they they have access to thieves tools, tinkers tools, and artisans tools. So mm -hmm. because of you know that's kind of the shtick for the for the class, right? So that makes total right. sense. Yeah. When when I was reading that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know that they're giving these proficiencies like thieves tools, and then. Once you read further, you'll see there's a good reason why. Yeah, completely good reason. In fact, necessary good reason, right? Yeah. Um, and they have a really wide range of skills to choose from. They don't get a lot of them, like a two, but mm -hmm. it's a very wide range of skills, which I think is telling because, you know, artificers are sort of, as far as, like, what they might know and whatnot, is pretty wide-ranging. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's an optional firearm proficiency. So. Yep. It's now it's now optional. Was it optional in the first version? I can't remember. Yeah, I, d I don't remember anything about the first version, so I'm just going by, by well, this one. Let's talk about this then. I, I'm very happy that it's just an optional firearms proficiency. Like, yep. I don't really need me any firearms proficiency if I don't want it in my game. All right, so the, the thing that you get at first level is magical tinkering and spellcasting. Mm -hmm. So... The magical tinkering thing is just a ribbon, and ribbons are, according to Mike Merles, just flavor things, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, I can't. I could think of some very, very, very clever players doing some mm -hmm. interesting things with this this magical tinkering ability, but it's really that's really what it's what it is. Like, it's essentially like you can do a bunch of cantrippy type stuff. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. You can do some neat things, um, and it's not overpowering unless it's the exact right situation with some very clever players. Uh, the weird thing, the way they worded something, I didn't quite. I, I would like them to change it. Um, you you can do this a certain number of times. The 
create these little effects uh, on an object. And then it says if you exceed your maximum, meaning the maximum number of times that you are allowed to do this per day, um, the oldest property immediately ends, and then the new property applies. So if you have three objects that do three different things, and that's the number of times per day you can do it, and then you try to do a fourth, um, the the first one goes away. I think it would just be better to let the player choose which one goes away. Uh, it's just a small thing, but it it doesn't hurt the class at all to do it that way. It makes it more flexible. And it avoids situations where they actually want to keep, you know, the last one and they've done two other things since. And then, well, okay, I shut them all off and then I recast. You know, it's just, it it just works around that problem. Mm-hmm. It does work around that problem. Um, I, yeah, that'd be fine with me. Like, it, yeah. nothing wrong. I don't think that hurts anything, right, that flexibility? Yeah. Exactly. It's not a huge deal. It's just a small thing I would change. All right, so let's talk about... So then they get spellcasting. So mm-hmm. the, the spells on their spell list... Mm-hmm. Um, well, first off, it's it's interesting and flavorful that it's restricted by having the tools one is proficient with. Like, you have to have them in order to cast. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, that's a thing. Like, you can't actually cast spells unless you have your tools present. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what that means, though, f- for, like... The idea of verbal somatic components and whatnot, does that mean everything has a a somatic component at that point? Like you just assume that the artificer always has to have a somatic part to their spellcasting? Because, um, I mean, you have yeah. to kind of, because you have to cast all your spells through devices. Right. So that is that is something that's not addressed in the text. Yeah, and the other thing that's not addressed is uh, if you're casting a spell through your thieves' tools or through whatever artisan tools that you're using. Does that require one hand or two hands? Can you use a shield? Could you wield a weapon and a shield? And also do you have thieves tools in your shield hand? You know, and these are questions that come up a lot with the other classes. And with them, you know, it's, it's complicated and you know that you only have to hold a rod with one hand. So, when it comes down to how are you using these tools, um, that is something that's going to need to be ironed out. Yeah, and and the the idea that you always have to cast them through a device, like it says that in the text too, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yep. So these are these are things that are they're a little bit wobbly, right? They're not super clear. Right. Right. When yeah, yeah. when I mean, they've been clear, they've been clear everywhere else in spellcasting, as far as I'm concerned. Right. You, you get your all your equipment taken away. All you have now are your thieves' tools. Can you can you cast spells? That's, because you're supposed to use an object. That's a really good question. Yeah. Um, so now let's talk about the spell list real, real quick because I, I read that sure. too. Because these are important things to me. Like these really flavor your class. Yeah. Um, the spell list it's uh, it's very much a support character spell list. Mm-hmm. There's not a ton of. Um, there are some like like offensive type spells and whatnot, but most of them are not that. Very very few. The cantrips there are there are some. Yeah, there's a bunch actually. There's there's thorn but, whip. There's shocking grass. There's ray of frost. There's poison I, spray. I, I looked through first through fifth level spells. Um, the only ones that I saw that were really like offensive do damage are heat metal, mm-hmm. which only works of course if the person's wearing armor or has a lot of metal on them. Uh, and Bigby's hand, 
I believe can do some damage. Um, Warden Cannon's Faithful Hound at fourth level can attack. Um, the other ones are all defensive or buff or kind of utility sort of spells. Yeah, or give your or or yeah, buff buff a weapon, buff buff. Yeah, like yeah. elemental weapon. Um, but yeah, everything, nothing else is a really what you would think of as an offensive boom spell. Yeah, there there are no real offensive boom spells. Right. Even heat metal isn't that much of a of a boom spell, right? Right, right. I mean, it, it can be used to do damage, and so, but you know, those I think are the only three out of all these first through fifth level spells on the spell list that can actually do damage on their own. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. It also really pushes a kind of particular uh, playstyle and and what the what role the class really fills in mm-hmm. in the game. It's right. very it's very much in that that bard. Uh, space, sure. Now, now to be fair, as soon as you choose your archetype, um, then you get some offensive spells, whichever one you choose. That's true, <laughs> but there are not a lot of them. That's also true. Mm-hmm. All right, so okay. let's talk about infusions because that's what you get at okay. second level. Yeah. So you're essentially handing out magic items. Yes. Um, I think that the list. So here, here's how they handle infusions. Um, there is a list. There, there are a number of infusions that you know, so it's a little bit like uh, the warlocks, um, yeah. uh, whatever they're called. I, man, I'm just having a hard time remembering words today. I, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, the the incantations. Yes, thank you. Incantations. It, yeah, sure. So they're like that. So you only get a limited amount of them. As you level up, you get more. Uh, and there, there's a list. And the list is, I think it's pretty well curated and fits in the Artificer's wheelhouse. Like, so there's some, some new ones that they made, and then there's like a bunch of lists of magic items that you can actually make. Yeah. I, I didn't notice anything that was broken or weird or problematic. Yeah, the, a couple of them were confusing to me. Uh, the very first one, I think it was the first one, yeah, was the Boots of the Winding Path. And it says, while wearing these boots, a creature can teleport up to 15 feet as a bonus action. To an unoccupied space the creature can see. And then I was like, wow, that's really powerful. Because there's no limit on that. You could just do it as a bonus action all the time. Yeah, it's taken... the next, The next sentence says, the creature must have occupied that space at some point during the current turn. So reading that, I'm like, so you can te- teleport 15 feet as a bonus action to a space... As long as it was a space that you had occupied at some point during the, your turn, it's still a free disengage. You just have to run an attack and then and then teleport. It, it, exactly. So I was trying to figure out. You know, at first, uh, the, after the first sentence, like, well, that's horribly broken. And then after that, I was like, now I'm just confused. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, you can. A rogue runs up, attacks, and then uses the bonus action to 15 feet uh, teleport away to a space that they were in at least. At some point before, it's it's not even, in, in my opinion, all that broken because it's a magic item, right? So like you're you're using one of your resources to create this magic item, right? True. So True. all it is is doing is it's sort of infringing on that. Um, it's giving somebody the ability to have essentially a, a, a weaker version of the rogues rogues disengage action. Right. Yep. Which to me is not that broken. Uh, no. It's it's perfectly it fits right in the I, I thought the same thing you did right and then I was like nah never mind it's not worth me-. to me it wasn't worth mentioning because I'm like uh-huh. oh, it's just it's just a, a minor rogue disengage yeah it's just it's weirdly worded 
So yeah, I I just think it could be could be clearer. Yeah, they'll they'll let uh if if I am when when the play testing is is going through and whatnot, they'll they'll let uh uh Rodney no no not Rodney um who's the Dan Dan Dillon is he now the person that does that? Oh, I, was, I don't know who it is. Uh, not not Mike Merles, not Chris Perkins, the other one. <laughs> Jeremy Crawford. Yeah, they'll let Jeremy Crawford fix it. Because that's yeah. usually what he does as far as that development process goes. Like sure. Mike Merles is like, well, here's the rule and sort of what I want it to do. And then they let Jeremy Crawford go in and, and make it make it work right. within the thing. And after some right. play testing and whatnot, they'll they'll even fix it some more. So sure. I, I understand what they're getting at. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, just in terms of, of our discussion, you know, this is a great first step to to try to figure out how to do it. But then at some point you just have to say, what do we want this to do? And what's the easiest way to make that happen? Yeah. There, there's some other, like that whole artifice or spell casting thing is not worded well. Right. Like casting through tools and stuff like they, they Mm -hmm. need to fix that. Like they need to, they need to fix this too. Like some of these things they need to fix. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's all cool. Um, the other one I laughed about was the many handed pouch. Which I think is awesome. It's really cool. Basically, you have two to five pouches, uh, which are all connected. So they basically they're an interdimensional space that hold the same things. So I could wear one, and you could wear one, and we reach in, and we are reaching into basically the same space. Yes, which is cool. Um, just don't. The first thing I thought was, okay, so you know, we have one Vorpal sword. So you use the Vorpal sword. On your turn, you put it in the pouch. I pull out the Vorpal Sword. I use it. You know, I, I don't think... I uh, think... The way, I th- the way yeah. it's worded, you can't do that. Uh, but then, again, just one thing to, to think about uh, to make sure it doesn't happen at your table. Yeah, there is a uh, there is a, a point at which I've heard them talk about the design of these things. Like, don't let your players do stupid things. Right. Right. Like, that's a dumb thing for people to everybody to be able to use a, a weapon on the same turn. But, yeah. like, there are some other things that I thought about that you could do with it. Like, um, if I put my hand in the pouch, can somebody else put their hand in the pouch and touch my hand? That's exactly. I was thinking the exact same thing. Because then I can cure people from up to 100 feet, 100, what is it, 100 miles 100, away? 100 miles away. Yes. Yeah. I mean, now now we have some problems, right? Yep. So yep. we got to figure out like is that that was the, the first thing I thought like can I do that? Like is that a, yeah. is, it, is that not allowed? Like I, I think it might be, based on that uh, description. So one of those mm-hmm. things that you got to fix to make sure that that that's not a, not an ability. Like nobody can access the pouch unless the pouch is closed. Only one person can access the pouch at a time, right? Something like right. that. Yep. Um. So what did you have to say about the spell storing item? Uh oh, spell storing item. Uh, this is what it said about the spell storing item. The spell stays in the object until it has been used a number of times equal to twice your intelligence modifier um, or until you use this feature again. So w- what happens is with, with this, you put a you put a spell into an item and then the person who is attuned to the item can use that spell. And that, as, it's, as it reads here, they can use the spell a number of times equal to twice your intelligence modifier. So if you have an intelligence of 20, that's a plus five modifier. So what this appears to be saying is they can cast this first or second level spell from this item ten times. Where does it say that? I didn't. I missed that I, one. It's that's not under that's not under um, infusions. That is back up under the character itself. Oh, okay. Um, I missed that one. Yeah, it's under. Uh, oh, I see it. I see it. Yeah. 
It's, that's a that's an 18th level, right? Yeah, it's 18th level, so it's, you know, whatever. At that point, all bets are off. It's just kind of weird. You know, it's just weird to... I can now cast the second level spell ten times. I have to use an action to do it. Um, I, I don't... It's... it's. I don't know if it's... It's too much of too little, if that makes any sense. It's It's something that doesn't seem horribly useful... And it, but it doesn't seem right either. Well, it's not a capstone ability, right? Um, there's not a lot of. Uh, they don't remember the the artificer doesn't have a ton of like attacky type spells at first and second right. level. So this is really to right. give somebody. Yeah, it's just weird to me. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It's not. It's not. A, it's so one. One. It's not their capstone ability, right? Because they have a twentieth level ability. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. It's. It's not broken. It's not. It just seems odd. It's. To me. It's not great. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. But and, and the other problem is is like this class is different from a lot of other classes. Yeah. So there's not a lot to compare it to. So we have to like look at this stuff and not like look for the balance in other classes too, right? Right. And and it's strange because in the past a spell storing item th- there have been lots of classes throughout D and D, or lots of items where you could put like an offensive spell into your sword, attack with your sword, and then as a bonus action or whatever you release the spell. So that's what I thought we were dealing with. When I started to read that, and then when it said, you know, it takes an action to cast the spell, uh, it just it didn't. It didn't jive with anything that's ever been before. Uh, anyway, I, I think I've already said everything I can yeah. say about that. So here's a couple of things that you can do with it, though. Because now, now that I'm looking at the spell list, right? That's always where you got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you can you can put enhance. You can put a, enlarge or reduce on it. Mm-hmm. So like enlarge is kind of a, a useful spell, right? To have to give to somebody or to put on 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 a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can stick lesser restoration on it. That's a yeah. pretty useful spell, even at higher levels. I'm looking at the ones that are like useful at higher levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, long striders where you can stick on there to give yourself or expeditious retreat actually that's actually the better one because mm-hmm. now you can move way faster that's that's yeah. a huge speed boost yeah um cure wounds that's not as good at first level right like it's only a d d that's who cares about that back right. back when you're eighteenth level right that doesn't yeah. matter as and much. and it doesn't say that you you know it it says store a spell in it choosing one first or second level from your spell list it doesn't say you can upcast that correct uh, so it's just it's weird. But like invisibilities on there too, mm-hmm. like these are all all possibly useful things because you can give this to somebody else to use, right? That's the yeah. idea. Um, yeah, yeah. So that one, like, I can see it's it's useful, but it's not overpowering, right? But yeah. also, also once again, not the capstone ability. Yep. I, yeah, I guess I would have to see it, how people used it to. And again, at eighteenth level, everything's weird anyway. So yeah, and like, um, I'm sure there's like I. Th- at first glance, I'm with you. I'm like, it's, it's sort of uninspired as far as like, is that really that cool? Uh, mm-hmm. But but you're basically giving, you're basically putting a magic item in play. Mm-hmm. So I mean, once again, like a game that doesn't yeah. actually think of magic items as being part of the balance of the game. Right. You're, you're now sticking things that can unbalance the game into the game. Right. Essentially, like right. So they're actually designing with probably with that thought in mind. That's the thing we have to think about. Like. 
magic items are not taken into, into account with the balance of of the game as far as like characters leveling up. Like true, they're, they're supposed to be special things. So mm-hmm. that that makes things very very uh, different as far as like the design of this class goes. Yeah, I, I guess you're kind of making if a, if a regular wand or staff or something has like ten charges. I guess that's same, pretty much the same thing, right? You're 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 making an item a a wand of invisibility mm-hmm. or a wand of lesser restoration. Yep, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's uh let's move on to the next thing. I mean, a lot of this stuff, I'm with you, Sean. Like, I'm not sure how to feel about it until it gets play tested, right? Right, right. And and it's even as I talk it through, I'm thinking of different things. So my opinion sometimes changes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's talk about the alchemist a little bit. Okay. So this is weird to me. So so from what I've been able to gather from my study of, of D&D is that when you can pick your, um, when you pick your subclass at third level, that means mm-hmm. your subclass matters a lot less in the long run as far as the flavor of the class. Like, the abilities that the class gets itself are are more meaningful to the class than the subclass. Like, mm-hmm. you, you might be an alchemist, but really you're an artificer. Right. Unlike... Unlike Warlocks, where you get that thing at first level, because mm-hmm. that, that's way more important to the overall um, build of your class over time. Sure. Because, uh, like, the Rogue, too. Like, the Rogue, you get it at third level. That means a lot less, because you get a lot of stuff as a Rogue. I mean, this al- mm-hmm. the, the Artificer feels a little bit like the Rogue in that way, as far yeah. as, like, what you get. But then I looked at what you get as the Alchemist, and I'm like, huh. <laughs> like, because <laughs> the, the Hominoculus is... Yeah is a crazy thing to get. Like you get another character. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's, it's a weak character, but it's definitely a character. Sort of. It's, it's sort of a weak character. I don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I, I don't know how to feel about it. Just personal preference. I am less keen on classes that give you another being, another creature, another set of actions, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, some anything that puts more things on the board or you know in the play space to keep track of, yeah, makes the game more complicated. It does, which is which isn't necessarily bad, but you know, in my having run a lot of games to try to teach new players things. Um, it's just, it, it makes it that much more difficult. It, it does. And, and this one is, so this one, I'm not too concerned with it as far as like an action thing. It's sort of a little bit because you have to, you have to use your bonus action to, to do something with it. Right. But it can do some interesting things and it flies. Yes. By the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only does it fly, it can make you fly. That yeah okay so yeah. Now let's talk about let's talk about what this thing can do so I actually like okay. how they I like kind of I kind of like how they designed it like you can't do anything with it unless you spend your bonus action and then when you spend mm-hmm. your bonus action all you're doing is to give it give it give it an action mm-hmm. and the action could be to attack um which you know the, it doesn't do a ton of damage but it's really mm-hmm. good it, it, to me it's good at lower levels and it's less yeah. good and it, you kind of level out of it right yeah and that's fine because then it's the other stuff that it does like uh. The uh, alchemical slav, which is three times per day, which is really the cool thing that it does. Um, the one that the one that I'm not sure about is 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 buoyancy. Mm-hmm. So this gives a target a flying speed of ten feet for ten minutes. Yep. Now this might not be that great in a fight, right? And then again, maybe it could be great in a fight. 
who knows? Right. Like, yeah. depending on how people use it. Right. Uh, it totally lets you get to places that you couldn't get to before, I'll tell you that much. Yes. So it's yep. really, really good in exploration. Yes. I mean, you can have three characters flying uh, for for 10 minutes. Yes. Although then that's all that that, that creature can do for the day. True. So it's it's very much capped. And mm-hmm. that's and that's pretty good. Um, the resilience is is always kind of pretty good, where you get temporary hit points, two d six plus your in modifier. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then inspiration's fine, right? Like you get you gain advantage on certain ability checks for the next hour, right? Like that that doesn't seem too terrible to me. Like it, right? Because you know, it's not necessarily breaking the ability check thing like like right. the rogue does with expertise. Um, right. But it's cool because it's flexible and it's magical, right? Right. You, basically, you can have advantage on uh, ability checks uh, for up to your intelligence modifier. So you know, two, three, four times yeah. uh, per day for the next character. hour. It's got two. Right. It's got oh. two limiters on it. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's not it's not terrible. Um, the 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 whole thing that gets me the is is the putting that extra thing on the board. Yeah. I, so um, this is a complex class already. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're already handing out magic items, and then this thing makes it even even a little bit more complex. So I don't, yeah. I, I'm not too upset about um, crafting a class that has more complexity to it for people that want to play a more complex class. If that makes mm-hmm. any sense, like, right. like I'm I'm okay with that. Like, uh, I mean, there there are plenty of classes that exist in the game now that are simple. Mm-hmm. Um, the the artificer is, in my opinion, not a simple class. No, definitely but, not. I mean, and not the. It's it's less about the simplicity of playing it as the simplicity of dealing with it as the DM. Huh. For me. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I guess I guess you and I have a very... Oh, explain. I want to hear this. I, I don't mind complexity in characters for the, for the players on the player side of things. You can make as, as complex a class as you want if the player likes that. I am cool with the player playing that. When the complexity leaks out into gameplay and makes it harder, not on the player, but on the other players or on the DM, that's where I start to resist a bit. Oh, man. This whole class does that. Because this whole class is about handing people magic items and buffing people and then having stuff. And and so I'm cool with, with that. I'm cool with... The player herself needs to keep track of all the magic items she's handing out. If she can do that and and give it to the players and make them help them remember that they have them and what they do, all cool. I'm I'm great with that. It's when you start start putting more things on the board and having to know where they are, because remember this should be able to be played easily theater of the mind as well as on a grid. Mm-hmm. So now if you're talking about you have to be within a certain amount, you know, within a certain area or um where is it compared to to me and and then it it specifically says that the homunculus shares your initiative count but takes its turn immediately after yours. So now you now it's dictating how initiative is going to work and and it's just it's very actually it bleeds into gameplay for me, mm-hmm. not just with on the character sheet, the interaction between the character and the player, but the the 
you know the play of the whole game. Yeah, I actually think this is one of the most least um, invasive like designs as far as uh, putting more stuff on the board, like another character on the board that they've that they've made. Like I think this is um, way less invasive than like um, a beast from the Beastmaster, or from mm-hmm. the fact that there are certain spellcasters that can you know uh, control and raise undead. I'm not arguing with you there. Yeah, I actually is um, from from yeah. your point of view from the thing that you just that you asked about. Like, this is a concern that I have. I think this is probably one of the best designs that they've come up with so far. I I that I agree with. Uh, let's say that I agree with with the homunculus. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get into the other stuff later. Sure, sure, no problem. I I haven't I haven't uh, to everybody out there like I uh. I, I didn't get to the artillerist, which makes me sad because this is all fascinating stuff to me. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's flip over to the artillerist. Sure. Let's talk okay. about it. So, so the artillerist um, is the other archetype, and he, he or she makes things go boom, specializing in magic to create explosions and defensive positions, as well as magical infused sidearms. And I'm not going to go through this whole thing because I want to talk about the other stuff too. But where where the alchemist creates the homunculus, the artillerist creates a turret. Oh. And this is where it gets crazy for me. Because now you're talking about a magical turret that they get that you put on the board. It's a medium sized object, magical object, um, that you occupies a space within five feet of you. Uh, it has an AC of 18 and a number of hit points equal to five times your artificer level. It's immune to poison, psychic damage in all conditions. Uh, if it is forced to make an ability check or saving throw, treat all its ability scores as 10. If the mending spell is cast on it, uh, when you summon the turret, you decide what type it is. It can do different damage. And then, like the homunculus, you use your bonus action to cause the turret to activate if you are within 60 feet of it. Okay, this is dumb. Yes. Like, I love me some tower defense games. Yeah. I really do. But I don't need me some tower defense games in my D&D game. And the the, the, the thing is, it's super cool, right? Because you can make it a flamethrower or a forced ballista. Or you can make it all these, uh, or the defender. Um, the the problem is you are you are making the game so tactical now. You are... Putting where it is in the spot, and then how close are you to it? Um, then the turret itself starts setting off area of effect spells that you have to take into account where everyone is in the cone and each creature. So now you have to worry about allies being near the turret. And it gets worse because as you gain levels, um, the turret starts doing things like uh, giving cover. Uh, at 14th level, fortified position, you and your allies have half cover while within 10 feet of the turret that you create. So now you have to figure out, are we 10 feet away? If we are, now we have half cover. Well, it's half cover again. Oh, well, let me go back to the book and check. Um, it, it's, it, flavor-wise, I like it. Actually, I hate it flavor-wise. Uh, okay. Yeah, but... Just mechanically and having to run a game with it, it, I, I just don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. So um, that's me. I, to me, this one is less. Uh, this one's less invasive than the than the, the monoculus. In terms of what it can do, 
Yes. No, I mean, in terms of like a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, like it's it, it is a thing that you put on the board, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's no different than a summon. Like if I'm summoning creatures or whatnot, and it's actually simpler than that because it sits on the board and it doesn't do anything unless in, and, unless you do unless you as an action command your turret to do something. I agree, and personally, I'm not a big fan of summon either. So. Oh yeah, I, I know you're. I know you're not. But I mean, like, I'm. I'm just trying to play the. I'm not trying to play the devil's advocate. I'm just trying to no. like, from no. a des, from a design point of view, it is by far the. It is even less invasive than the monoculus as far as design goes, as far as what you were talking about before. True. Um. I just think it's dumb. Like, <laughs> like you magically summon it. It's on crab legs. It's got right. an AC of 18. <laughs> right. Like. So 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 it, it can take damage. Yes. Right? And it disappears if it's reduced to here zero hit points. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's just, it's one more thing to remember. It's one more thing to keep track of. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is uh, definitely for the, the tactical game player yeah. in there. I mean, I could see it in the, um, I could see it in the theater of the mind sense too. Like it's, you know, you, you pop up your turret in the middle of the bad guys and have it flamethrow, right? Like, yeah. that's that's fun enough. Uh, I just, I don't like the idea that it's on these crab legs that I can't move. And also <laughs> also that you're, like, summoning it. Like, can't we do better than that? Like, come on, guys. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and that's, that's, that is the other thing. It's, you know, they, they talk about how this is all, the artificers dealing with objects, right? They're mm-hmm. dealing with objects. They're changing objects. They're putting magic in objects and then with this one they're summoning yeah and and it can walk it can move up to 15 right. feet on its as yeah. part of its action right so i mean like it's on crowd legs it walks around i'm like i don't know like it's kind of so just at first glance like this is now now we're getting to my personal preference right it looks it's kind of hokey yeah to me like yeah. making it a monoculus is cool like i i know what they're doing here this is a turret this is this is tower defense 101 right now man right. <laughs> like right. Yep. <laughs> it just kind of makes me laugh a little. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I uh yeah, design-wise it's it's fine. Like the design yeah. of it's not a big deal. You know, and and I I think it's a good start. I think it's in a perfect place to give to players and let them use it and see what what comes of it. So I'm not you know, we sat here and we, you know, we nitpick and we joke and we laugh about certain things. But no, I think this is exactly where it should be at this point. And see what see what everyone says. Yes, I agree. Um, is there any other interesting powers to talk about concerning this? Because man, we should have just done a whole show from the start yeah. on this thing. Well, that's why. Yeah, that's why I thought we need to uh, not do the other today. But. Yeah, we won't do the other today. Uh, let's take five more minutes to talk about the artificer, and we'll talk about critical role next. Oh no, you want to talk about critical role real quick? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I mean, we can come back and talk about this at the beginning of next show too, if you want. Sure, sure. Cause, so, because there's okay. some inter- there's some interesting thing, right? Like arcane armament, you know. Yeah. And yeah. the right cantrip for the job, and some mm-hmm. of the other things inside of these these abilities, these artillerist and the uh, and the uh, the the um, alchemist. Mm-hmm. So, man, all the A's. <laughs> yeah, alchemist, artillerist. I mean, all of the arcane armament. <laughs> Come on now. Use other letters of the alphabet. Uh, correct, please. Thank you. It's hard to remember. Hey Chris, this stuff. Did, did you did you hear that they, they did a critical role Kickstarter? I mean last time I checked, yeah, I, I heard I actually backed it. Did so you? yeah, I did. Nice. I mean I love so so everybody out there, if if you didn't know this about me, I love animated um 
animated cartoon type stuff a lot, like a lot, like more so in some cases than live action things. Uh, that's just a personal preference. Like I have DC, uh, the DC subscription thing, mostly so I can watch Young Justice and also all the animated movies that are around there. Like there's not a DC animated movie that I haven't watched. Like I love Steven Universe. I love all sorts of stuff like that. And this fits right inside of all of those things. So, mm. you know, like I backed it. <laughs> um, well, the, the reason I want to talk about it is because obviously it's big news um, in the D&D world. It, it's it's yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. It's, it is. It is. No matter how you cut it. No. Yeah. Um, I, I, yes. It is big news in the D&D world for for people who want D&D centric entertainment. This is huge. Um, and I think if anyone deserves several million dollars, it's Matt Mercer and, and the folks there. Uh, I, they've created something that people obviously love. Um, I've talked to people who are super fans of theirs, and they they feel like a part of something larger. They feel like a part of the show, right? Uh, just with the, the community that's been built up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and everything I've heard about Matt from people you know, who've, who know him or have talked to him. I've never met him myself is that he's just an really incredible, incredibly nice guy. Mm -hmm. So I want good things to happen for good people. I, yeah, me too. Now there is a business side of things, right? Sure. Let's talk about it. And there is a, an emotional side of things, especially in terms of people in the industry. Yes. And, Um, and to be honest with you, I've actually been rather, um, rather upset with the people that have reacted negatively towards this because I get what they're saying, but they're not in the right frame of mind. I don't think as far as like, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's some are upset. Well, let's just talk about why they're upset, right? Because on, on a, on a raw level, on an emotional level, it's understandable when you have been working in the industry or someone, do you know, has been working in industry for 40 years and is living hand to mouth and, needs to run a GoFundMe campaign to pay medical bills or even rent, right? And that's mm-hmm. terribly sad to see. And so when you deal with that reality, when, you, when you're in the industry and you see that, and then you turn around and people are literally handing millions of dollars to, to this thing, it can cause some cognitive dissonance, let's, let's put it. Um, really? Who knew? I mean, I, and, I've seen it all over the Internet, so, yeah, I right. totally get it. And so whether you agree or not, Right. It's something we need to understand. It's a very human reaction. Um, I I would say most of us are probably not immune to it, even if we don't understand it or agree with it in this context. You know, say you're a baker, right? And you've been baking for 30 years and you are, you know, you're coming up with new recipes and you're about to open a. You have your bakery, but you're going to open a chain in the next town and it's going to you want to grow into something big. And all of a sudden, a celebrity baker you know, just comes in. Oh, yeah, you know, I have my own TV show, but I'm going to get into baking, and he opens a shop right across the street. Now, it's not the exact same thing. But that but, actually you know, that actually is the exact same thing. That, so, that, that's, that's direct competition. Right. So, so this, what I'm talking about is not direct competition, but, you know, we all have those moments where we're working really hard at something, and we see someone else's success, and, you know, it's, there. you can call it jealousy, you can call it whatever you want, but it's, it's a very visceral emotional reaction. Sure. I'm, I'm so, totally so, with so you. So I get that. Yeah. Um, I, I would have been more down with the people that were like, if people were like salty, like when um, 7th C blew up and got $1.3 million, right? Mm-hmm. right? 
Or like when you know Monty Cook made like six hundred or seven hundred thousand dollars on on a, on a Numenera Kickstarter or something like that. Like mm-hmm. those those I would have understood. This one I I get a lot less why people are angry. Right. So well, obviously this is a D and D related Kickstarter, but it is, it is not. It is, it is not a D and D Kickstarter. No, it is not. This is not going it, to a gaming product. This is going to a series of of animated. Uh, this is going to an animated series now. Like right. this is about making that. It's about making animated content. It's not about making game stuff. Correct. So, so we we can they, they need this money to do this, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you're you're not going to make anim, good animated content with fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Check it out. So, like, uh, they projected it, it's about seven hundred fifty thousand dollars via Kickstarter to make a 22 anima- minute animated short. And that's right. going and getting real animators. Like this is this is a company called Titmouse. They make The Venture Brothers, right? Like sure. like this is this is stuff and other shows that appear on Cartoon Network. Mm-hmm. So like these are people that know what they're doing. Like these are professionals. This is like this is if if I'm going to make the comparison for people listening to the show, this is like, "Oh, we're Dungeons and Dragons and we're going to go get Curse to make D&D Beyond." Like right. th- that's what they're doing. Right. Exactly. Uh so you know that's this is money that is going to be spent on what it should be spent on, yeah, well, which is making yes. making, making the stuff. And, and they're um, also going to get paid too, because let me let's be real, like they are a bunch of actual like voice actors that work exactly. in voice acting, like not on not on shows that we don't know, like they work on like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and things like that, mm-hmm. right? Like these yeah. people have like real like these people have acting credits to their names, like mm-hmm. legitimate. Big name, watch it on Saturday morning or, or weekday afternoon in syndication acting credits on their names. Mm-hmm. So, like, and, there's uh, that. Yeah. There is that. And the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, I saw a lot of people saying, well, you know, this isn't going to affect me as a D&D content creator. We, you know, we don't get anything out of this. And I don't agree with that one bit. Um, I think that Critical Role and this Kickstarter and everything Matt's done and everything that you know Penny Arcade with, with Acquisitions Incorporated has done has made a difference for D&D creators. Totally. Uh, and for all RPGs in the long run. Now, I can't, you know, I can't draw a straight line and, and quantify how it's helped because that's hard to say. But if a new person comes into the hobby because of this that wouldn't have otherwise... Then it's making the tabletop role playing game world a better a better thing. It's uh, oh, go ahead. I agree a hundred percent. I also have I also have another thing that I think is like tangentially related to that. Like um, mm-hmm. it's a thing I've been saying for a little while now is that um, I think entertainment where there's a lot more money um, mm-hmm. is going to start look at going to start looking at role playing games. Yes, for their their information. Or for their for their content, like new content that that'll come up. Uh, right. The thing I said is like a lot of role playing games don't have. A lot of role playing games don't have characters, that they can make stories out of. Mm-hmm. So, the game. Uh, so so this property right here, like they've tried to shop this around for a while and didn't have any success. They're like, well, we'll just do it ourselves. Fine, we'll mm-hmm. just do it ourselves. So they started doing it themselves. Um. And it's now got, you know, almost 50,000 backers. So yeah. I think maybe when it gets, if it gets to anywhere near 100,000, maybe streaming services will start looking at them and maybe want to pick them up. Yeah, and with, at this point, it's they probably will get 
in the area of 100,000 backers. Yeah, and and that means like maybe these content creators out there in the world for entertainment purposes will start looking harder at role-playing games for mm. for, you know, new content cuz you yes. know, I I think I think eventually it'll get down there like, well, we've we've gone through all these comic books and there's no no really comic book properties that we want to make at the moment. Like, well, let's go look at these crazy role-playing game people where mm. not only do they not where they have these interesting fascinating settings and whatnot, maybe they don't have characters we can build stuff around it. So, yeah, so I just I want to say if if you are one of those people that's upset by this, I completely understand it. Um, Hang in there. Don't stop doing what you're doing because of this. You know, keep up the, the work that you love to do and you may never get six million dollars or like in the since we've started, they've gone up like one hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> since we started this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just hang in there. Um, and th- thank you to the folks uh, like Matt, who have been very gracious, uh, who have said thank you. And if you can, support other creators in in this hobby, not just us. So I appreciate him taking the time to say that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There you go. I mean, he did us a solid by, you know, talking about the Book of the Tarrasque once. <laughs> he did. It was true. Well, I guess it's our show for the day, huh? Yes, man. We, next, we've got to talk more about the artificer. It's it's okay. interesting. Like we'll finish we'll finish talking about the artificer. We got Chris all fired up. Yeah, I mean, I like talking about class design, and we'll talk. We'll we'll, we'll update people with critical role and stuff too. Like be like, hey, check it out. This is where it's at. Like right now, they're making uh, six animated shows. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. six animated, tr- twenty two minute episodes, which is great to me. I love okay. it. Uh, all right, let's. Uh, I just want to say, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and. Um, you know, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for 2 bucks a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you get that shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes, which were pretty beefy this time. And you also get access to our Slack room for life, uh, where you can chat with us. Yeah, if you can't help us out monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can do so with an Apple Podcast review. You know the deal. Those reviews help us, even if you're not listening via Apple Podcast, because other podcatchers use that to rate and rank shows, and that helps make us more visible. It really does. Uh, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can talk to the Mad Wizard at uh, at Menagerie Wizard. How about you, Chris? Uh, you can hit me up at Misdirected Mark on Twitter, or you can just go to the website where you can catch other great shows such as The Bonus Experience. In fact, they just started their own Patreon, which is getting close to $100, which will mean that they'll make an actual play themselves. Monica and Ray, they're awesome. They're sort of our, our 101-ish GMing show. Uh, they're hilarious. They're informative. Monica's an excellent designer. Ray's a writer. So you get, you get a little bit of what you get on this show, but from Monica yeah. and Ray's perspective. So there you go. Down with D&D is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. Oh, yes, it is. So, Sean, what are we going to do now, buddy old pal? We are going to go kill some monsters. Can't we kill some artificers? I hope so. Yes. All right. Turrets. <laughs> You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D? This whole party. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. You down with D and D? Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D and D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D and D?